Hello, hello. Welcome again to another episode of the Behind the Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Doyle Wheeler, and I am super excited about our next guest, Val Mahoney from the Huckleberry Press. Thank you. Yeah, welcome to the show. I'm excited to be here. So Val, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, No one knows who you are if they're asking the question, who's Val? Let's tell them all about it. Right on. Well, I was born and raised in Spokane. So I got a big feel for Spokane from that. And then I lived in Seattle for 27 years. And about nine or 10 years ago, my dad needed help. Uh, He was getting up in years and needed help. So we moved to the area. uh, And I live in a Grange Hall north of Davenport out in the sticks. It's two old schoolhouses that are put together. And the last nine years, I've lived in the Grange Hall and been running the Huckleberry Press. Love it. So tell us a little bit about the Huckleberry Press. I'm interested in the story that got you to the Huckleberry Press. I would like to say it was some big inspiration, but as it worked out, I really just needed a job. And I thought that the Huckleberry Press would be about a a 30-hour-a-week endeavor, (laughs) which was completely, (laughs) utterly naive in every way. I met the original owner of the Huckleberry Press in another business that I was in, and On the one level, she started the Huckleberry Press. She started selling ads for the Huckleberry Press before there was even a newspaper existent. So when she sold all the ads for the paper, she put a paper together and started putting it out 21 years ago. Then her husband had medical issues, so they were having to leave town for warmer climates frequently and (laughs) at one of those points I offered to run the paper for her for a couple weeks just to cover and she came back and said well how would you like to buy the Huckleberry Press which I had not even remotely considered and anybody that knows me from my Seattle days would wonder what the heck I was doing buying an old school (laughs) business like a newspaper uh But we took a look at it, and it made sense. And like I said, I needed a job anyway, Mm -hmm. so why not buy the paper? And that's how that started. And I thought that I didn't really understand the scope of it when we bought it because I thought it was just like, I don't know, a little paper that sits at the grocery stores and people walk by, and that's what there is to it. Mm But what I found was the readers are completely loyal. They love the Huckleberry Press then and now. And I think it was partly driven by they felt like it was maybe their paper because it was their stories and their ads and their events in the paper. And Victoria, the previous owner, was really great at being a part of the community and bringing everybody in that way. So what I found was, like, if we don't deliver the papers right away we get phone calls like where is the paper and often when we go drop the paper off there will be people waiting for us to do so (laughs) and take them literally out of our hands and run away and read the chuckleberries which is the jokes or the articles or whatever they're doing so yeah it was a way more of a passionate audience than i would have guessed that's pretty awesome so i've actually read your paper um, and we'll get into a few a few things from a digital marketer's point of view in, in about print, but there's something special about the Huckleberry Press. It's almost like um, because it isn't being overthought, something to that effect. I love it because it's, it's organic and it's urban. Um, and yeah, there is that kind of FOMO feeling when you walk by and you see all the other prints out there and you know the Huckleberry Press was there that morning and it's just gone. So pretty cool. Well, I'm glad you jumped on it and went for it and made it what it is today. Um, so let's backtrack just a little bit. Um, you brought up Seattle, et cetera. Have you always been in business for yourself or did you work other jobs or where did the entrepreneurial spirit come from? I don't know where the entrepreneurial spirit came from except to say that I just never wanted to suffer the tyranny of a nine to five job. 
So I did all kinds of things to avoid having to be at a regular place at a regular time every day. And something about that made me a so-called entrepreneur. And, you know, to be honest, looking back, if I could have had a job, I would have just gotten a job. I think my life would have been a lot easier in a lot of ways. But no, I had to strike out on my own. And I've been self-employed since my very early 20s, so really most wow. of my life. And uh, I've always had the flexibility. I've always worked from home. Um, I wish I could say that I was a super successful entrepreneur, but really I'm just entrepreneurial. And I've built my life around that. Are you happy? Yeah. You're a successful entrepreneur. Yeah, right Congratulations. on. Congratulations. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I am happy for the opportunities that I've been given and I'm fulfilled by what I have done and it's been a journey and in the interest of being transparent I just don't know if I'd recommend the journey to everybody it's it's not the easiest road to hope yeah well what I've learned about the business that I'm in and that I own is it's a it's an opportunity to offer jobs, and I mean there's still an entrepreneurial spirit for the entrepreneur, right? Like, um, it's the same as an introvert and an extrovert. Entrepreneurs are out there; they like to be in front of people and they get things done, and that's how they build a brand and make their money and et cetera, et cetera. But then internally, when you have employees, we try and do our best to create entrepreneurs. So I mean. Entrepreneurial spirit is honestly buried in every human. It just comes out differently. The same way we communicate. There's pessimists, there's optimists, there's introverts, there's extroverts. Yeah, the list goes on, you know what I mean? I don't know. There's, I think there's value in, I like what you said, like, if you would have got a job, your life would have probably been easier. But I don't know, I look back, I used to have a job. Half of my life I worked for my boss, and I created ways to make more money. I made more money than anyone else at the, at the place I was working. We were paid on commission. I figured out how to make more. Um, and it was just by figuring out new systems and things like that. And then they got adopted and everybody started making more money. So it wasn't, it wasn't wrong in any sense of the word, but I wasn't happy. Right. Now I'm happy and I feel like there's no amount of money that equals happiness. It's the effort you put into your daily routine as an entrepreneur. Um, what you get out of it is happiness. You're winning. There's, this is how I feel. There's so many things that could be said. And <laughs> one of them is I love to see what people can get up to when they're left to their own devices and they don't have to worry. So what I mean by that is anywhere someone's got an entrepreneurial little spark coming up, I love to blow oxygen on that and give them the permission to go for it. And the permission to go for it is the inspiring thing. It's like... Mm -hmm. I love when people sit down to play the piano, even if they don't know how to play the piano, but the fact that they gave themselves the permission to just go for it is so inspiring to me. And so I love to see the entrepreneurial spirit come alive where possible. Yeah, totally agree. And when I, I also think it's um, maybe fascinating to me as I've grown up in business, you know, like when I started, um, this keeps coming up in the podcast and I'm not trying to talk about myself all the time, but it is my story and it applies here. But, um, I came from working in, well, it wasn't nine to five. It was like four to 10 every day, but you know, I worked a regular job and then I was, uh, just by consequence of life, I started a business so I could put groceries on the table for the family. And then over time it turned into what I never expected as an agency, creative agency. Anyway, here we are, and it's working, um, but it's super inspiring when I hear people say that um, just go with it. You have the entrepreneurial spirit. Just get going. That is a theme that keeps coming up in the podcast. Every, every episode, something like this comes up. But to me, entrepreneurship is artwork. And as I've grown to appreciate the operation of a business, it is my art and it is my passion and I want to make it awesome. Um, unfortunately, the deeper I look into what I didn't play out is my art. 
have to go fix stuff. So and everybody has that journey. It's just a matter of when, you know, pretty cool. I, I like hearing that a lot. It's inspiring just to hear it, that it's inspiring to you. <laughs> it's inception, right? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, so um, what did jobs look like to you that, that wasn't forcing you to nine to five um, as an entrepreneur? What, 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 what did you do before the Huckleberry Press? If you can tell. Um, what was my career before the Huckleberry Press? Yeah, like what other businesses did you run? Well, a variety. Yeah. I have a long history with photography and video, and I got, let's see, how can I tell that story? So I started photography in college, and multiple times in my life I've gotten to have gallery shows and magazine shoots and jobs up and down the West Coast, and I get to a certain point with my photography career, and then for some reason something takes me on a right turn and I get taken away from that. So photography and now video has been a long part of my history. Mm. And then I was a massage therapist for 16 years and a massage instructor. Wow. And uh, that was a whole nother ball of wax. And the number one thing I'm grateful for that experience is that it gave me the ability to really listen to people in a deep, meaningful way that in my opinion that career is bottom line about the depth of your ability to listen to people to what's really going on and feel that with them so that taught me a lot about how to be with people that uh, I am totally grateful for and then I was part of another business for about 16 years and I did really well with that and that was all about teamwork and working mm-hmm. in teams and we traveled around the world and danced and did things and it allowed me to retire for about 10 years and but semi-retire for about 10 years and that was an, again i mean the context was sales but what drove it was listening again mm-hmm. and in a very different way than massage of course but still what i the main number one thing I took away from that experience was listening to people. And I also did a lot of public speaking and a lot of training with that. And again, listening was the bottom line there. So that's what I did up until I moved back to the Spokane area. Mm-hmm. And I took care of my dad for a couple of years until he died. And then we got the paper. That's pretty cool. And I like what you're saying about massage therapy and listening to people. Um, when you're pushing a knot out of someone's back, you're going to get the truth of why that's there. Yeah. <laughs> I've been on a massage table before in it, during a nasty back injury. And, uh, yeah, you can get a lot of honesty out of somebody really quick. Probably more than the barber, I would, I would argue. Well, I guess you could say there's like deeply held patterns that often have a story attached. And so sometimes in this, it would show up in a variety of ways, but one way it would show up is people will tell a story that doesn't necessarily sound like it relates to why they have a knot in their back, but it most certainly does. Mm -hmm. And then in that context, it's your job to listen keenly for what's really going to make the difference with that person which sometimes that difference is the intent is to go straight to the actual point and sometimes it's just meant to be a compassionate space for someone to tell their story no matter how it comes out of their mouth does that make sense yes it does so uh it was kind of a listening dance if you will Mm -hmm. And when we go to entrepreneurialism and why I say I sometimes think I should have just got a job (laughs) is because I've done all these different things and there's nonprofit work in there and doing other projects. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I've done a whole what's the word panoply of things that don't necessarily lend from one to the next. But uh, all of them had to do with people. All of them have to do with listening 
even photography is I'm, I'm just going to ride the listening train right now is still a lot about listening to the moment getting all the angles straight and i what i love about that aspect of things is uh when i've got a subject and all the angles are there for that subject to look as good as possible the lighting the camera them I'm still trying to listen to the moment to pull out the most significant piece of that moment. I don't know if that's clear. It but, is. But that, it, it, there's one big through line, and it's all got to do about being of service to people and listening keenly mm-hmm. for what's going to make a difference. Yep. You're speaking my language. And that's, it's all over the Huckleberry Press. That's the stories you're getting. Um, I really like the little stories that you post on Facebook. Um, it's kind of cool because it's everything you just embodied. I mean, I can, I can see it now. I can, I can visualize it now where you're coming from, the empathy that you're bringing to the, the story that's being told. Um, well, so as, it relates cool. to, as it relates to the Huckabay Press, for the first uh, six years or so, I was focused on the Huckabay Press making money. Because, mm-hmm. after all, it's a business, and businesses pay money, or at least theoretically pay <laughs> money. So I was all about making the money with the paper, and I was trying to wrap my head around what I needed to do to be smarter to make money and what I had to do to drive the money forward. And the bottom line is, during that time, we never really made any money. <laughs> yeah. And... It was a fool's errand. Well, in the middle of the pandemic, I had some conversations with a variety of people. And what I got to, which is really pretty cliche, but it's still making a difference. It was about how the paper makes a difference. So I started looking at the paper from the lens of how do we make a difference? So how do we make a difference with our advertisers? How do we make a difference with the community? And in particular, the stories we tell about making a difference. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is prior uh, to a couple years ago, the Huckleberry Press tended to run a very eclectic collection of stories, you know, uh, about somebody's horse or about something going on in Colville or just a random assortment of stories, whatever I could get my hands on. I don't even know how I did it every month or every issue. But uh, a couple years ago, we started telling really only stories about people who are making a difference in the local community. And once we started focusing on the people who are making a difference in the local community, our business started getting a lot stronger and we started actually making money. I'm not here to say that the Huckleberry Press is a super profitable business. (laughs) I am here to say that we're doing a lot more, well, we're a larger publication for one, Mm -hmm. but we're doing a lot better than we had previously for sure. And I know that the difference was when we pivoted and started telling those stories about people that make a difference in the local community. And like I said, that's cliche, making a difference. I mean, Every commercial about anything people-oriented tends to be about making a difference, mm-hmm. but it's but it makes sense. It's exactly what it is, and well, I'll just stop right there. So yeah, we I don't started, think you should. We started telling those. Well, <laughs> I get it. I get what you're saying, though. Yeah, I don't. I worry about rambling here, but part of it is that. If you want to get irritated by what the Democrats are doing or what the Republicans are doing or what failures the government is producing now, there are any number of resources you can go to for that experience. And I like to think of the Huckabay Press as Switzerland. We are not here to irritate people with the failings of the people around you. We're here to tell the stories of the people around you that have stepped out just a little bit to make a difference for the people around them. Mm -hmm. So hopefully when we tell those stories about people that make a difference, we're able to inspire further action in the community. Maybe 
maybe somebody picks up the paper, reads a story about somebody who stepped out and did their own thing and to say it again made a difference, maybe that will inspire somebody else to go out and take their own action. Yeah. You're hitting every every single talking point that I would want to talk about for running a business. Matter of fact, every business that I've ever run in the last 15 years, how do I include community? It's a big deal to me, and it's in our company culture. Here I go again, guys, talking about culture. But culture is everything with my team because the one thing that you can give to a community other than money is a smile, a good day, a positive vibe. And trust me, that's worth more than money. You know, we're, we're walking around with people with their heads down and um, challenges. You can, you can tell they've, they got, they got issues with their life and they're in a bad way. It, just a smile will change, change their trajectory for the next few minutes. That's, that's more than money, I think. One of the aspects of the paper that I thought was the dumbest when we, when we bought it was the so-called Chuckleberries, mm-hmm. which is a page of jokes. And it, none of the jokes are high-minded or really very clever. But I was determined to take that part out of the papers right away. But what I quickly found out was the jokes in the paper are such as they are, are one of the most popular features. And I think it's because what you just said. I mean, A, jokes have been in newspapers since the beginning of newspapers. B, it gives people just a moment to lighten up and be amused by something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe it takes a little heaviness off for a minute. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What's your favorite joke in Chuckleberries? <laughs> oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I uh, wish we had an issue here just to yeah, rattle off. I should have brought an issue. The speaking as an what the real answer is, speaking as an editor, it's my job to just get them in there. Mm-hmm. It's not really my job to digest them or remember them. <laughs> so I barely know the jokes that go in, but I, I definitely know that they're there. So do you ever get emotionally attached to the stories? Do you do you have to kind of stay away from reading them? Or do you, uh, like, oh, this one's so good, it needs to be on the second page or something like that? Or does it, do you, how do you remove yourself from that? Or is it even a thing? I don't know. I just, that's, that's one thing that I would struggle with. Well, it's not necessarily the most inspiring response, but I'm navigating so many stories that I don't really have an opportunity to engage them so much. And I wish I had more opportunities. So in other words, what I do is line up the stories and get the writer on the story and get the picture taken for the story. But I don't really typically spend so much time with the person in the story myself. It's all lining up other people to get that story done. And then I get the final word document and I do what I got to do to get it into the physical paper. So that said, I've started doing video podcasts and I love that experience Mm -hmm. because it gives me a chance to actually talk to the person, get to know them. And just like we're doing this podcast now, I, I love to collaborate. Mm-hmm. So doing a podcast with somebody isn't my best experience. Let me start over. I love to collaborate and doing these video podcasts with people is excellent because I'm actually working with them towards a common goal. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yes, it does. And it gives me a chance to know them a little bit better and build some history because you can yeah. go you can go talk to somebody for a little bit, but now we've, you and I have done this podcast together, so our relationship is forwarded, and we have a memory together, and that changes the whole math. So now that I'm doing more video interviews with people, I'm getting to know the stories themselves better, mm-hmm. and I find that more satisfying. So how did you come to the conclusion this was going to be your passion? Like, was there an aha moment? Was it, I mean, I know when you started it, 
and I would have too. How do I make money? But but in somewhere in there, there was this. I'm going to keep going. Like what what unlocked it? What what was the pivot? What does that make sense? Yeah. Well, we already talked about it, but it was really when it it changed from being an obligation to an expression when we got into making a difference a couple of years ago. And that is when, like, if I have a job description out on Indeed, it is now driven by how we're going to make a difference together and people respond. So everyone that's joined us lately is coming in under the energy of making a difference together. It just makes sense. Mm -hmm. So now when I go networking around Spokane, I'm driven by that dynamic of making a difference. <laughs> does that make sense? Yes, it does. And on a separate but related note, uh, in my opinion, one of the problems in society these days is everybody knows what's going on nationally. You watch the national news, you read the national publications, no one knows what's going on anymore in their backyard. And while I am on purpose staying out of the political realm, it's one of the driving reasons why I'm doing the Huckleberry Press, so I can tell the stories of what's going on in your backyard, perhaps somebody you know or ran into, the coffee sh- ran into at the coffee shop or might be a neighbor. So uh, to say it another way, Typically, one is only in the news if one is in major trouble, doing something controversial. Sometimes the good stories get told, but not nearly as much as the first two. So what I love is having the opportunity to tell stories about people that are normal, quote-unquote normal people doing extraordinary things in our local community, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I want to amplify. So that's one of my motivators. I love it. That's awesome. That works perfectly. Why do you think, um, I, I think we're, this might be a little bit redundant, but I want to dive in just a little bit if we can. Mm. What, what do you think a community paper is important? Like why, what makes it important? You know what I'm saying? Like, I get what you're saying about removing from politics, removing from national, coming local. And I think there's huge value in that. What makes it important? No wrong answer. What leads to mind is having your neighborhood highlighted and having people be seen. That... I already said it just a minute ago, but the idea that everyone has their 15 minutes of fame is typically driven by uh, not favorable circumstances. Someone's in trouble. Someone's done something wrong. It tends to be negative, and I know there's exceptions to that. Mm -hmm. But what I see that makes a community paper important is... It lifts the people up who are just in your natural environment. Does that make sense? Yes. And uh, I want to know what's going on with the people down the road. I just think that's critically important. And again, it goes back to inspiring people to take their own action. If they see that somebody that lives around the corner and down the street is doing something extraordinary to make a difference maybe they can relate and see that inside of themselves and then they too can go do something that's going to improve a life or somehow at the risk of overusing the phrase somehow make a difference with somebody so i don't know if that's really clear where the community tie-in is but that's what i see our role as so i live on the north side of spokane and when I hear news about Green Bluff, which is, I mean, we live really close to Green Bluff. We walk up there. When I hear stories from there, it's like, oh, I didn't know that existed. And then we'll figure out how to find out, you know. And the same thing goes for Cheney and Reardon. Um, 
the outlying, I saw you're in 13 counties. Um, Chewila, right? Like to hear what went on at the, the Chewila rodeo or something like that. <laughs> like it's super inspiring because you, you we're just creatures of habit. And I forget um, that there's human beings making a difference in outlying areas, you know. That's one thing I love about the Spokane County Fair. All these people from the little fairs come in to, it's like the grand stage, right, with their with their livestock and what they've grown and things like that. And it's super cool because you know that it was human-inspired. And there's, there's young people and there's old people and there's every walk of life that's involved in this thing. But it came from everywhere else because it doesn't happen in the city. You know what I mean? That's a, I feel like that's what's happening with Huckleberry Press. This is definitely something special, 100%. Anyone that hasn't read it, uh, <laughs> better figure out how to find one. Because <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> There's a page on our website that gives you all the locations. Uh, well, I'd love to hear the comparison to the fairs or to be in the same zone as mm-hmm. the county fairs. I hadn't thought of that until you brought up what you thought was important about a community newspaper. Yeah. It, like It sold it. What? So to be clear, now I'm focused mostly on growing in Spokane, and we ser- still serve the outline areas. But I, just from a practical point of view, I personally would like to live in Spokane. I want to know the people in Spokane. The people in Spokane, there's well over 17,000 businesses to work with in Spokane. Mm-hmm. And Spokane has, frankly, a budget that the outline areas typically don't have so much but i'm thinking about the lincoln county fair who has advertised with us for at at least 10 years Mm -hmm. i don't know if they advertised before me but for sure every single year and i think the county fair should be like the ultimate event of the year it pulls everybody together People get awards <laughs> for their flowers and baked goods and how they raise their sheep and their bunnies. Mm-hmm. And there's so many important roles that the fair fulfills. And I'm, I'm excited to help them promote their mission because I feel it's very much in line with the Huckleberry Press. Yeah. And by the way, we also work with the Spokane County Fair. So, yeah. If I was going to put the Huckleberry Press into a different format, it would be a county fair. I love it. <laughs> and and, it, and that's what's making it special. That's what's making it special. I guarantee it. I, can, I mean, I can feel that. I shouldn't say I guarantee it. That's just something I have a habit of saying. But um, when I read the Huckleberry Press, it definitely feels like a guidebook to the county fair, comma, it's about all of our neighbors. Right on. It's just feel good it feels good there's that's <laughs> awesome um i heard you say once that oh actually it might have been one of your sales uh reps that i bumped into that when you put the paper out at one of the locations they're usually gone within 48 hours yeah and that's not because of lack of papers that's just because distribution is working well As you and I have discussed, I often kind of think about being part of a business that is more on the vanguard of technology Mm -hmm. and new things. You know, the Huckleberry Press is definitely old tech. (laughs) But ever since the pandemic, we have pretty much gone through every single paper that we put out. I mean, we get a small handful back every issue. And I don't know really what it was about the pandemic. I thought the pandemic was going to slaughter our business. And in fact, the phone was ringing with event ads who were canceling their ad packages. And so the phone was ringing and news, the news was terrible. And I just had it in my head that this was the end of the paper. <laughs> But really what happened was our distribution grew and people started taking the papers off the racks even more than they were before. And 
I don't want to say I can't keep up, but in a sense, I'm at capacity. Makes sense. I mean, what I mean by that is people take all the papers that we put out, and I intend to put out more papers. Yes, I get you. And I think it can grow. Once the, maybe once this podcast gets out, people will see value in advertising with you, and that can grow the paper. And maybe there's other ways they can support it. So, I mean, there's, there is value in your paper. Um, so what's been the, um, the biggest noticeable influence the paper's had on the community? Have you seen anything that, like, obviously chuckleberries, but is there anything about the paper, the movement, um, what the Huckleberry Press is doing that has had an influence on the community that you've noticed? From an anecdotal point of view, yes. I can tell by the way people refer to the paper to my face. What they say about it is way different than it used to be. Uh, I messaged somebody earlier this week about somebody else being in the paper. And that somebody else didn't really want to have their story told, but they talked to my contact, who I didn't know personally, but they had a conversation, and the guy that didn't want their story told so much was told that the paper was a good business, that we were trying to do good, and it was that conversation they had that had the fellow that I wanted to feature in the paper say yes. And so I don't know if that's a very clear story, but what I got from it was our reputation precedes us. And again, I'm I'm trying to come up with different words and make a difference. But (laughs) don't worry about it. Just say it. But it makes sense. It's making a difference (laughs) because we've been focused on making a difference in the local community. Yeah. People are responding to that, Mm -hmm. and they're sending me stories about other people who are making a difference, and the whole way they characterize the paper is beyond what, it's beyond how I would characterize the paper, so I know it's having an impact. So, I don't know of any projects that have been started by people who read the paper, so I don't know if we're having an impact yeah. that way. But based on feedback and what I'm getting anecdotally, I see for sure that people are feeling very positive about our direction. Love it. And I'm feeling very positive about your direction. I didn't know about it until I was told about it. Um, because I'm not the guy that goes to the magazine rack in the middle of the, you know, the outside doors of the grocery store and picks up a paper. Um, once the wheel deals went away, done for Doyle. Never going. I'm not going to look ever again. That used to be my favorite read, but um, uh, now I'm looking for it, and it's fun. Even even though they're gone, like oh, they have the Huckleberry Press, so it's pretty cool. So me myself, I'm a digital marketer, and in almost every pitch, it comes up. What do you think about um, paying for ads in print? And my first response is, print is dead. Don't waste your money. Period. Prove me wrong. <laughs> Putting you right on the spot here. <laughs> but what, like, it, it, I'm always focused on a modern means of exposure for marketing, right? Because I know it's inexpensive and I can track it, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the biggest beefs that I have, uh, TV and radio is all Nielsen bubble things, you know, scantrons. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a crapshoot, like, it may or may not be true, but they're making crazy amounts of money off that data. And then you come to a social media campaign, we can track every inch of that whole marketing campaign to see if it met the KPI or did we win, et cetera, et cetera. So you have a paper that's got good reach and very minimal throwaways. So I see a huge value in advertising in there, right? Um, so to me, that proves that from what you've told us so far, print could work. And um, anyway, I think it's, it's super interesting how the Huckleberry Press is, is creating community in the community because it is community. 
Um, so to me, that makes a lot of sense to promote to clients, et cetera, to get involved in because um, people actually read it. Isn't well, it weird, though? Like, how do you, he, we can't physically prove someone reads the paper, but I'm not, um, w- I'm with you. What I hear weighs heavy, and really all we are is telling stories anyway. And when I hear feedback about the Huckleberry Press, like I'll bring it up in conversation. Hey, did you did you get the Huckleberry Press? It's a cool local newspaper. Hype it a little bit, and oh yeah, I happened to see it at Yokes, and I picked it up, and it was actually really cool. It's still on my coffee table. Okay, well there is some better feedback than a Scantron. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know there's digital ways to get all this feedback, but I'm kind of leading on to what are your thoughts on print is dead. And it doesn't, there's no wrong answer. It doesn't even have to continue after this question. <laughs> well, I'm not ignorant of the fact that the internet is our competition. <laughs> I mean, for a million reasons, I could, obviously, there's a situation there. But I think that people like to do business with people they know, like, and trust. So... What I think is going on is there's an association between if you are picking up the Huckleberry Press and there's an advertiser in the Huckleberry Press, just being in the Huckleberry Press bestows credibility and then people feel like they can know, like, and trust your business just because you're in their trusted newspaper. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And... You don't necessarily get a feeling of knowing, liking, and trusting a website. There's not typically, I mean, I know that's arguable, but when I'm on the internet, I'm not really developing a relationship with my source. True. I don't think. I mean, I'm not. (laughs) I'm sure people feel very strongly about their Discord and Reddit and all those kinds of things, but mostly it's just stuff on the Internet. And when people are going to the local grocery store to pick up their Huckleberry Press, they're taking a committed action to ingest something that they want to ingest. It's a lot different than clicking a link. God bless the internet. I'm all for the internet. Don't get me wrong. I just (laughs) see that there's more commitment, more engagement, and more relationship in in a so-called local publication. Boy, that is is heavy. One thing that I do think is hugely valuable and um, overlooked at this point is what you're doing on social media for the newspaper, as the newspaper. Um, Like you were talking about your video uh, podcasts. It's almost like we read about it, we get the brief story in the newspaper or in the Huckleberry Press, and then there's, but wait, there's more, and it can be on your phone when it's convenient. But I really like that I that um, that what you what you shared about um, wanting to actually go get the Huckleberry Press. I mean, that's a committed action for sure, and um, you're also hyping. The newspaper, I mean, other people are hyping it for you in conversation. So now people are on the lookout for it, and it's got FOMO written all over it, you know. The fear of missing out is probably the biggest marketing win that we've ever had in the in recent history. Yeah, it's making me think how I can better employ that. <laughs> You're gonna. I guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how it's going to look, but I am. Yeah, it'll be fun. And that's the cool thing about um, entrepreneurship is... New ideas come up, you pivot, you make it work a little better. You pivot, it may not work as good. You pivot and make that better. Next thing you know, you have a whole lot of good going on, (laughs) and you don't know why it's going so well. It's because you're good at what you do. That's one reason why I like to network. I myself don't have the best ideas. I wish I did. Maybe when I was younger, I had better ideas, but... But I know a good idea when I hear one. So, yeah, <laughs> so there you go. One of the reasons why I like to network so much and build relationships is because I love to collaborate. Yeah. And in a collaboration, I can get a great idea from somebody, activate it, and then hopefully, ideally, both of us come out ahead. There's nothing better than being in a networking situation or meeting up for coffee and 
a good idea comes up that I could care less about. It was just a good idea or vice versa. And there was action taken on it and you see it work. It's like, whoa, that's cool. You know, like yeah, really. it, it's, it just, it was, it never happened until two people got together and talked and then it was a good idea. And then it became something. That's, that's the number one reason why I'm focused on moving back to Spokane into Spokane. Currently I live in the country. Now I want to live in Spokane because I like that collaborative energy is like water to my soul. I don't know hmm. how to operate without it. With it, I can accomplish anything. And uh, all the networking and all the things that I'm doing are me intentionally building the relationship until it gets into collaborative space. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we can move from there. I was talking with my wife about it last night and there there is there is some value in propelling your business forward with networking but i've i've always i always feel like money um you know bank account a pnl is secondary um the relationships you build it, it it's like you said it, it it brings joy and i don't mean that in a weird creepy way but it inspires and it gets it wells up like the things you were wondering about and someone happened to say a keyword that triggers, oh, I'm going to go home and do that tomorrow. Things like that is awesome. But then it does formulate relationships that head down the lane you're in. And um, people want what you have. They just didn't realize they needed it until they got to know you. Um, so there is value in it, but it's how you do it that's the secret sauce. And how do you get an um, introvert to be comfortable in their shoes to go and network because it could change their life? It's crippling. I, I am an, I, I don't even know if this is a thing, but I consider myself an extroverted introvert. I can be, or maybe I'm just a child of the 80s but, or 70s, but I can be at home for multiple days and hours by myself and be perfectly happy. But at the same time, I get a lot of energy from being around people. Mm -hmm. So... How I think introverts can get more comfortable networking is through contribution. So what I see is that mostly when, when we go quote-unquote networking, we're trying to get a sale. And we enter the room with that thought in mind about I got to get a sale what do I got to say to get a sale? And then if you don't get a, if you do get a sale, you walk away feeling victorious. But if you don't get a sale, you're typically in your head about, I should have said this. I should have said that. I didn't do it right. What, should, what can I do better next time? Blah, 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 blah. But what really turns out all on its head is contribution. Like what can I contribute meaningfully to somebody else that's going to help them with their journey. And what I have found, like we run a networking group out of MedCollab Studios on Friday afternoons, and it's an extraordinary group of people. And anytime I am in front of the room running the meeting or whatever, I'm always pumping up contribution. What would it look like if we filled this room with people who are focused on contributing to each other? Mm -hmm. And it takes some practice, but anybody can contribute. And when you're in a space of contribution, you're not thinking about what you should say that would get a different result or what did I get out of it or I failed at not getting my sale or any of that nonsense. It's about how do I meaningfully contribute to the person in front of me and what kind of difference am I going to make with them now so that I think gets a lot of people out of their head and into action and takes away all that weirdness about sales and I, I learned a long time ago when I go networking I always have a brain cell or two devoted to sales in the back of my mind you know mm -hmm. like of course I want sales that's yes buy more ads but 
in the moment, I'm just focused on, first of all, having fun with whoever I'm with and right there. And second, I'm listening keenly for how can I contribute and hook them up with Doyle or send them a link to a book that they really should read or maybe I can do a Facebook post for them or maybe pick any number of a thousand things that could happen that would be a contribution. I love it. And, and everybody right now can give, right? Like contribute, um, share a smile. Um, it costs you nothing. And if anything, it'll make you feel better for doing it. Mm -hmm. um, especially when there's no strings attached. Like you take the money equation out of it. Um, it's just, it's just weird to say because we live in a capitalist society and there's nothing wrong with that. We have to make money to live. If you can't help yourself, you can't help others. But you can. You don't need money to be positive. You don't need money to contribute. You don't need money to share your knowledge. 99% um, of everything I've ever shared about my secret sauce in Kinetic for digital marketing has never been employed by somebody, ever. I've never seen it happen. The one person that did, um, I hired him. But anyway, it's it's like I don't I freely give, freely get. I don't know how else to say it. It's, so for any introverts that are hearing this right now, you have hope. <laughs> if someone has a dream of starting a business as an investment or a passion, kind of like you have, but has been wondering how to get started, do you have any advice for them? Be prepared to be tenacious. Well said. Nothing is as good or as bad as it seems like in the moment, but tenacity will carry you through. 100% agree. So current business owners, um, what would you do to encourage them to inspire them to just keep on going? I think just keep on going. I don't know what to say to inspire. I don't know if I can articulate it. On the one hand, I don't know what to say to inspire someone to keep on going, but I do know that if you keep on going, the inspiration will come. You just have to give it a chance. Perfect. Well said. Tom Simpson was on um, an episode here recently, and I asked him that question. He thought just as long as you, and he said, you know what? If someone called me and said, what would you do to inspire me? I think I'd be concerned. People shouldn't need to be inspired to keep on going, but I love it. If you just keep on going, inspiration will come. I am not inspired every day I do the Huckleberry Press. There's a lot of days where I'm distinctly uninspired, but it's my job, if you will, to keep going so I keep going, and then I get to those inspirational spots, and that feels a lot better. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> And I wouldn't get to the inspired spot were it not for me keeping on, keeping on. So mm -hmm. I'm, I, I know it doesn't feel as good, but I'm a little less concerned that people are constantly inspired and more interested in people being committed because commitment will carry you through inspiration is almost like the weather like oh there's a little inspiration blowing through right now awesome but you can't that makes so much sense you can't exactly yeah. control it but you can control your commitment and inside a commitment inspiration is one of the things that comes up yeah. also love being fulfilled Anything that you find of value really is probably going to come through being committed. Good point. What do you love most about the Spokane area? 13 counties. Well, it's not the most illuminated response, but I really, <laughs> I really like the weather. That's why I live here. I, I, I love the community in Seattle, and I was very well connected in Seattle, and I miss that, but 
The reason I'm not moving back to Seattle is strictly because of the weather. Favorite coffee shop in Spokane? Oh, First Avenue Coffee. You like First Avenue Coffee? <laughs> yeah. I love it. It is a cool space <laughs> for a multitude of reasons. <laughs> it is. Are there any books that you've read in your entrepreneurial journey that have helped you in your career um, that you would recommend to others? Yeah, there's a book I read recently, although I've been familiar with it for years, called The Gift by Thatch Nguyen. And earlier when we were talking about networking and I was talking about contribution, the book The Gift talks about the gift is contribution. And I really respect the authors. There's four authors. I'm friends with two of them. And from my perspective, when I'm talking about contribution as the best way to so to network it, where I got that from was the book The Gift and in Seattle Thatch would have meetings of anywhere from a few dozen to a few thousand people and there was a conversation set up strictly for people to contribute to each other. There was a kind of a method methodology to how they did that. And the energy was off the charts. People were excited. People were making money. Miracles would happen at these meetings. <laughs> it was the most fun, exciting thing to go to these meetings and have everyone there in the spirit of contribution. And and Thatch himself is a multi-multi-millionaire. So I, I, I mention that because when you talk about contribution, it can be kind of this esoteric, like, good thing to do, you know? Like, mm -hmm. oh, we should contribute, and it'll be great. And, but really, it's a specific mechanism by which you can be more successful. It's a real thing. Yeah. So I, I highly recommend the book, The Gift. Awesome. I love it. Any others? I read one a long time ago called From Good to Great. And it, I don't have much to say about it at this point because it's been so long. But what I was left with was just be excellent. If you're going to do it, do it excellent. Like... There is so much more that could happen with the Huckleberry Press, for sure. I haven't even scratched the surface. If I was somebody else, I'm sure the paper would be much farther along. But to run the Huckleberry Press, I, I have to be excellent. Mm -hmm. Like when I'm doing my – yesterday was billing and invoicing day. So I had to do that, and I had to be excellent and, and basically perfect. <laughs> All day long doing billing and invoicing, you know. So that's what I got out of that book. Yeah, nice. Just if you're going to do it, just do it excellently. How can people find you, Val? How can people find you on the internet, Huckleberry Press? Type in the words Huckleberry Press on any platform. It's awesome. It does show up right first. I think. I think you get the Huckleberry Press, and you get a couple of uh, Huckleberry Press cocktail recipes. Yes. But if you type in the words Huckleberry Press, you'll find us. I was going to say um, Heritage Distilling finds you very appealing. Yeah, right. <laughs> there was a drink recipe called the Huckleberry Press. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast. I appreciate your time. That was a big investment out of your day. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's my honor. I wouldn't be anywhere else. Cool. I appreciate it. There was a lot of good things that came out of this one. I can't wait to highlight them. Well, thank you so much to our listeners for making it this far in the podcast. And if you're still awake, I've got news for you. You can still find us on the internet. We're everywhere you can imagine. BTSNW or behind the scene, S-E-E-N, Northwest. And you can find us on our website, btsnw.com. And for anyone that may have ideas for guests, questions you may have, um, you name it. We've got the resources and the ways to find those people to get on the podcast and help uncover it for you. Just email me, 
podcast at btsnw.com. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Make the rest of it awesome. We'll see you in the next one.